next uh, <clears throat> next service we have a special treat. Um, both Katie and Kess Blanton are going to be baptized in Christ. Uh, it is a joyful day, a joyous day, and it's one that has not only changed their thought and their pursuits, but has now changed their future, this complete acceptance of Jesus Christ, this bride marrying the bridegroom, and it's a particular joy for me. Uh, next week, we have another baptism, and I think the week after that, we're going to have another one. So, we just got incredible um, reasons to celebrate uh, over the next few weeks. And so I encourage you, if baptism into Christ is something that you've been considering, I, I would like you, I think you should, and definitely think you should do it soon, be baptized into Jesus. And if you have questions about it, I encourage you to ask me about it, and I'll explain it to the best of my ability. Somebody else probably explain it better, but I'll explain it to the best of my ability. I found myself doing something I never thought I would do. I was trying to explain Star Wars to someone over the past two weeks. You think explaining Scripture is difficult? Try explaining Star Wars to someone who's never seen Star Wars. It's a mess. I mean, the whole thing is a mess. And we sat down. I sat down with a friend. I was wondering, we were going to watch Return of the Jedi. And he said, now I just want to warn you before we sit down, I've never actually seen any Star Wars. First of all, I thought he was lying. But no, he's true. He's serious. Also, I thought, well, great. You know, that's what we think, right? When we sit down with a friend and they say, by the way, I didn't see the ones before this. We don't say it to them, but we think, great, fantastic. You're not going to get it. Your questions are going to ruin the entire experience for me. We don't actually say this, right? That's what we're thinking. He said, I've never actually seen this. I said, well, we can't watch this then. You, you got to start from the beginning. At least you got to start from the middle now, right? Whatever it is, you got to start from the beginning. And I sort of tried to explain to, to him what Star Wars was about, and he's a fairly rational human being, and so he was grasping my, my explanation. And I was going through it, you know. I was thinking about Darth Vader, and I was thinking about, you know, this rise and fall and all of these things, and it just clicked. As I was kind of putting some stuff together, it clicked. About two weeks ago, it clicked. I thought, you know what? We've been talking about him. We've been talking about him at church, We've been talking about this someone, this something that's been given a tremendous gift, and we see this rise, and we see this power, and then we see a tragic fall. We see evil consume the heart, much like Darth Vader. Don't ever try to explain that to somebody. Let them just watch the movie. The problem that we come across in both of these characters, the fictional and the real character, whether it's Darth Vader or whether it's Saul, is this. Saul cares about Saul. That's it. Saul cares about Saul. Now, he may pretend he cares about other things, and other things may be somewhere in the list, way down the list. 
But primarily, Saul cares about Saul. Saul is meant to be, as we kind of go back a little bit and recap a little bit, Saul is meant to be a character study for you and me. That's why it's there. It's for us to read through the fall of Saul, to realize that his pursuits were not godly pursuits, to realize that his mind was not a godly mind, his character was not godly character. It's meant to be a real-life example that we can learn from. In fact, if you look, and you could do this later, I encourage you to do this later, if you look at the beginning of 1 Samuel, where it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to talk about Samuel, and it's going to talk about Saul in 1 Samuel, but if you look at the very beginning, you get Hannah's prayer. And Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 is a summary of what this book's going to be about. Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 talks about the rise and fall of the prideful. It talks about exalting those who are humble. She's setting the stage, I would call it prophecy, setting the stage for Saul and Goliath and, and then raising up of David. And you can read through that later on. That's in the second chapter of 1 Samuel. We've been talking about Saul, and we know that he continues to ignore the commands of God. Now, I know nobody in here has ever ignored the commands of God. However, Saul did, and Saul continues to. He continues to pursue himself, his own pride, exalting who he is and what he is. And through the course of his life here in 1 Samuel, we see a descent literally into madness. While God exalts David. Now this lesson's not about David. We're not going to talk a whole lot about David. We haven't talked a whole lot about David yet. And we're not going to talk a whole lot about David today. But he does enter the story. So he's going to be mentioned. Saul has gone over the past two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was. Saul has gone from pride to fear. Today he's going to go to hatred and then to murder. From pride to fear to hatred to murder. Church, that's the progression. That's the progression. Why do you think Jesus talks so much about pride and, and fear? Why do you think Jesus talks so much about living for Jesus Christ, living for others rather than trying to exalt yourself? Because pride leads to fear, fear leads to hatred, hatred leads to destruction of others, and of yourself. Saul disobeys. We know this from a few weeks ago and loses the throne. He loses the kingdom and then he loses the throne. And all the while, God is working behind the scenes for the next one up. The next one up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Once more a gift to see, to learn, to understand to look at the hardship and struggle that Saul goes through, but also the downfall that we might learn, that we might come to know who Jesus is. Jesus might define our very minds, our hearts, and our hands. So, Father, we ask that we enter this study this week with an open mind and an open heart. In Jesus' name, amen.
You can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be mostly in chapter 18, but we're going to kick it off here in chapter 16 just as a little recap. God is working behind the scenes while Saul is making a spectacle of himself for the next one up. And by the way, at the beginning of this, Samuel didn't even know God was doing this. Samuel didn't even know that God was raising up or going to raise up David and, and, and forming this world and this life such that he's going to be in the right place at the right time. The point is this, church, God's always got a next one up, okay? He's always got someone else that he can bring into his service, you ready, to do your job, certainly to do my job. There's always somebody else that God has. In fact, he tells Ezekiel, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant, Ezekiel. You think you're the last one? Trust me, there's a lot more. There's a lot more. God always has a next one up. There's going to be a day, certainly when I'll be replaced, a day when many people will be replaced. And it's good to know that, and it's good to understand that, because we know that we're given a finite amount of time to work and to serve and to live out our ministry. 1 Samuel 16 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, this is after Saul has lost the throne, after he's lost the kingdom. Now he's still sitting on the throne. Saul's still sitting on the throne, but he's lost the throne. His family is not going to experience this. God has rejected him as king. And so the Lord says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? We get the impression that Samuel is really brokenhearted here. We get the impression that Samuel did care for Saul, that Samuel did like Saul. Not only that, Samuel was the instrument that God used to bring Saul into the picture in front of the people. <laughs> Samuel wanted this to go well. He wanted Saul to be successful. He wanted him to honor God and lead the people. And so Samuel is a little rejected and God says, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to wait around and cry around and mope around about this? Now, I don't know how long God perceives time or how, how quickly and how shortly he perceives time, but a lot of time did not pass. And God says, move on, move on, because I've got a mission. I've got work to do. You've got work to do. Look, God cares about his creation. He cares about his children. Samuel cared about Saul. We all know that. Everybody gets it. And now God says, move on. We've got work to do. He says, fill your horn and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. How far has Saul gone? Samuel was Saul's teacher. He was his mentor. He brought him in. He guided him. He directed him. It was through the instrument of Samuel that Saul was brought to the throne. And then he taught him along the way, trying time after time. And now even Samuel knows Saul's gone so far off the reservation through pride and fear and hatred that if he sees me, he's going to kill me. Samuel's done nothing wrong. Samuel, the teacher, and ultimately Saul, kills him. Sounds an awful lot like Star Wars, doesn't it? Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. By the way, if you haven't seen it, it's too late. 
Okay? It's just too late. Darth Vader ends up killing Obi-Wan Kenobi. Saul wants to kill Samuel, his teacher, his guide, his instructor. So a couple of things I learned from this. Number one, God says, hey, look, that didn't work out the way you wanted, but keep moving. And why? Because it didn't catch God by surprise. There's a lot of things in our life, a lot of things that happen in our life, even people that enter our life, and we get down, we get dejected, we even feel hopeless sometimes. God says, that didn't catch me by surprise. You still got a life to live. Keep moving, keep working, keep moving forward. After all, Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. Eventually, the king of kings is going to come from the tribe of Judah. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 49. So we know something's going to be shaken up later anyway. The second thing, of course, we learn is this. Your heart, your spirit, you cannot be replaced. But your position, your title, your work, even your service can be and should be replaced if not done with the proper perspective. Not mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm not talking about failings. I'm talking about perspective. You must have a definition that supersedes what you do. And that definition is Jesus Christ. Paul slips into madness. Paul slips into madness to eventually take his life. And I want you to notice the dignity. If you go back and read in chapter 12, you can, you can see the dignity in Samuel's retirement, not Saul. He's hanging on. He's going to be kicked off this throne, fighting God every step of the way. Look at John the Baptist in John chapter 3. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that's Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing, and everybody's going over to him. Now, if this was Saul, he'd be dejected. If this was Saul, he'd be filled with hatred. If this was Saul, he'd go hunt Jesus down. You know, this is John. John said this, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Saul, you have received so much, and it was taken from you. John says, you yourselves could testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of the Messiah. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's John, the friend who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. Look at verse 30. He must become greater and I must become less. We ought to write that one down. We ought to write that one down and just put that on the fridge. He must become greater, and I must become less. There is a great dignity in John's response here. You know, this, this, this person that Jesus describes as the greatest man born from women. There's a Look at Jesus. Even, even Jesus in Philippians 2, as Paul's writing about Jesus, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name. That is above every name. Big difference between John or Jesus and Saul. And unfortunately, I see these things and I look at my own self. I look at my own life with many opportunities or many things, many chances that I've been given. And there's a lot of similarities between me and Saul rather than between me and John the Baptist or even me and Jesus Christ. 
Saul's meant to be a character study. That we do not follow in his footsteps. So Saul, or so God raises up David. Remember, this is not a lesson about David, but David is this man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13. But now your kingdom will not endure as he takes away the kingdom from Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. By the way, David is a man after God's own heart, not because of his mistakes. Not because of all of the things he screwed up, but because of his pursuit in life because of what he believes. His pursuits because of what he believes. Saul pursued Saul. He wanted to exalt Saul. He wanted to make a name for Saul. He wanted to show the world Saul. David pursued God. Oh, he screwed up along the way a lot of times. Again, I know you and I have never messed up there. He messed up a lot of times. But he pursued the righteousness of God. Our mistakes don't have to define us. What defines us is the pursuit of our hearts. David, through his life, is genuinely grieved when sins are displayed before him. Saul only cares about the personal results of sin instead of a heartfelt contrition. David's worth is based upon his radical, humble trust in God. And David is brought to Saul's attention because of this battle between him and Goliath. David is a young man at the time, and all of Israel is quaking in fear because of the Philistines, but particularly Goliath. And David says, I'll, I'll take care of him. I'll meet him in battle. Why? Because of the one I believe in, the one I trust, which is the same God that Saul should and could have followed. You find that in Samuel 17. Now that's a, big, that's a big story and that's a big picture, but this isn't about David. This is about Saul. David ends up defeating Goliath, this great warrior of the Philistines. So Saul does something that's pretty smart. He takes David into his service after he slayed Goliath. Here we get into chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one with spirit. With David, they became best friends, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. David is good at what he does, and Saul recognizes this. By the way, David is, a, is primarily a military leader. That's it. He, he plays a pretty mean heart, but he's a, he's a military leader. In fact, he's such a great military leader, you ought to read on your own. You ought to go to 2 Samuel 23 and read about David's mighty men, you know, the guys that he commands. It's superhero stuff. It really is. And, 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 and David is this incredible military leader. Saul brings him into service. The two of them could have done wonderful things. 1 Samuel 18.5, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So far, so good. Now, Saul's lost the throne and he's lost the kingdom. But he's brought David into his service because David's great at what he does. The problem is Saul still cares about Saul. Saul didn't bring David into his service to exalt the nation of Israel. Saul didn't bring David into his service to exalt David. Saul brought David into service to exalt Saul. And he hears the chance. And here's the stories. Look at 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. <clears throat> when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
the women came out of all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with trembles and with lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Fear. Terrified. Why is Saul terrified? Because he's afraid David will become more and he will become less. Why do we get terrified so often in our lives? We're afraid at some point, at some place, at some time, we're going to become less. Or we're going to lose. Or we're going to be shown the bottom rung or the end chair at the table. Instead of living a life of service. Instead of living a life of humility. Instead of getting out in front of it. And choosing to define yourself by Jesus. That's what Paul or that's what David's talking about when he says, What can man do to me? I'm already out in front of it. Because he's defining his life by service to God. We can define our lives by service to Jesus Christ. Then we no longer have this fear bred by pride in our lives. Fear grips Saul's heart. Saul defines himself by his power, his place, his position. And he must hold on to this no matter the cost. And this will drive him crazy. Remember through all of this, as we reflect back upon ourselves, Saul did not start out this way, church. Saul didn't start out this way. He started out in great humility. He started out in service to the kingdom. He started out in mercy. He started out even telling Samuel, hey, look, I'm not your guy. (laughs) You must have a mistake here. That's where he started. That's where we so often start. But he was then gripped with pride. By the way, Darth Vader was originally a Jedi, right? Right? I'm telling you, I think they read this. I think, I think George read this and put that together. Saul could define himself by his service, by his trust, by his role, big or small, in the kingdom of God. And this fear of God could drive out all other fear in his life. He could have partnered with David with the mindset that the kingdom is what they are pursuing. And that the kingdom would be far better once Saul resigns. Conquering through service and in love. By the way, that is what the entire Bible is about. Conquering through service and love. Everybody in the world throughout time has tried to conquer through war or hatred or violence or being stronger than the other guy. That's not what Jesus does. He conquers the world through service and in love. From the fall of Babylon to clear through the revelation of Christ. That's the theme. Now, thanks to this pride and this fear, hatred enters into Saul's life. Be careful. Be careful. Sin is waiting at your door, right? Crouching at your door. 
waiting to devour you. Hatred enters into Saul's life. 1 Samuel 18, 10 through 11, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. That's a whole different explanation that we don't have time for. It was, a, it was a spirit not created by God. It was a spirit allowed by God because of judgment that he was pouring out upon the disobedience of Saul. Okay? Anyway, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. The second time is talked about in chapter 19. Hatred. And by the way, people are tempted to look at this scene right here as attempted murder. And this may be attempted murder by the letter of today's law. But according to Jesus, this is not attempted murder. What is this? This is murder. This is murder. Whether the spear struck home or not doesn't matter. This is murder. You've heard all of this before, Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says a brother or sister to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What is Jesus talking about? This consuming and dwelt upon rage. Not being upset, but this all-consuming rage. This is what Saul has to David. And Jesus says, you've already crossed the line. Whether that spear hits home or not, doesn't matter. Anybody dabble? Huh? I mean, it's a serious question. Anybody play around with murder in their lives? This rage, hatred of another person. Again, this may not be lifting the physical finger, but it may be delight, approval, or perhaps even indifference if the person is gone. Where does this come from? It comes from pride, giving way to fear, resulting in hatred once again. 1 Samuel eighteen twelve. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Saul was afraid. That's where this comes from. Show me someone who is filled with anger and hatred and frustration, and I will show you someone who is terrified. Terrified. You ever notice? Those who are not scared to death of life in the world around them, they live a life of peace. They live a life of generosity. They live a life of giving after giving. It's like they got... They got Skin that's six inches thick, right? Because that fear is gone. They're defined by something else. And so all of these wonderful qualities of Christ begin to come out in their life. Saul was an obedient son. He was a farm kid from a small tribe. He was lifted up. He was given opportunity. He was given victory. He had the throne and the kingdom and the love of the people. And now he is killing. So David flees. This is the last straw. David runs away from Saul and Jonathan helps him. By the way, if you're struggling with some of the things that Saul's struggling with, Jonathan here is another tragic figure in this tale thanks to Saul. 
due to Saul's pride and fear and hatred, he puts his own son in an impossible position. An impossible, an unwinnable position. Trying to do what's good, trying to do what's right, trying to honor his father, getting yelled at and being chastised by his father, trying to help David, trying to help Saul. He's doing this to his son because of his character, because of his pride, because of his fear and his attitude. He is killing not only himself, he's killing Jonathan. Nevertheless, John helps David flee. David gathers some loyal men for protection and they flee to a place called Nob where the priests of God are. And they help. They help David and they help his men. And then David and his men move on from there. Saul discovers that David was there and he sets out in pursuit of David. Saul finally gets to this town place called Nob and he finds out that the priests helped David, helped the anointed one of God. 1 Samuel 22, 17 through 19. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew that he was fleeing, but they did not tell me. But the king's own officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. The king then ordered Deg, who was an Edomite. He, was, he wasn't even an Israelite. He was a hired gun. The king then ordered Deg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Deg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That is 85 priests of God. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, its women, its children, its infants, its cattle, donkeys, sheep. That's how far Saul has gone. He goes in to where the priests of God are and destroys every last one. Here's a question. In all of our story here so far, what has happened to Saul from the outside of Saul? To make him do all these things. Anything? Has, has anybody or anything or anyone forced Saul to do any of this stuff? None of this stuff was beyond his control. None of this stuff even originated outside of Saul. It all originated in the heart and mind of Saul. Pride, fear, Hatred, murder, or destruction. Saul murders all the priests of God. Darth Vader. The transformation is complete. You know, Obi-Wan tells Luke at some point in one of the movies, Luke asks him what happened to his dad. And Obi-Wan tells Luke, and rightfully so, Darth Vader killed your father. Darth Vader killed your father. And he's absolutely true. You see, God's not killing Saul here. 
The people are not killing Saul. The enemies of Israel are not killing Saul here. Saul is killing Saul. Saul is destroying his own life. He is destroying the life of his family. He is destroying his legacy. He is destroying the kingdom. He is destroying his memory or the memory of him. All because he is filled and consumed with pride. Out of everything we've heard so far, this is the most tragic murder of the whole story. I've asked, do you ever dabble in murder? Seems like a strange question. And sometimes it's of self. This complete rejection of service and humility, this complete rejection of the character of Jesus Christ, a complete rejection of being defined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who wouldn't want that? And to kill even self. We'll conclude this next week and we'll see that this killing of Saul through the mind and through the heart eventually leads to the killing of Saul in a physical way. And that's the end of Saul. He is a character study. It's not a fun one. I get it. There's not a lot of laughing going on. But it's something to learn from that we will have a heart, a mind, a life peace, of humility, of service that we might be defined by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been given this message, that we have been given this life, that we've been given this example of a tragic fall, but that we might not respond in the same way, that we might be defined, that we might pursue love, know, become this follower of Christ not imitation, Father. Transformation. That we might live eternally. We might be remembered not as a king, but we might be remembered as a servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
thank God for our time, shall we? Father, once again, as we break up here, as we go um, to class or go to home or whatever it may be, Father, we just ask that you have changed, you begin changing our hearts, our minds, and we are reaffirmed in the service of love and the humility of Jesus Christ. That our kingdom, uh, our kingdom is, is so much grander than anything that we can build, uh, anything that we can see and experience on this earth. And so, Father, we ask that you help us to build that kingdom, that eternal kingdom, through love, through peace, through joy. In Jesus' name.